Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. On this edition of the podcast, conversation relative to the Getty Music Worship Conference, Sing 2019, held recently in Nashville. Following the Sing Conference, I had the chance to chat with Johnny Erickson Tata, who presented her reflections of the event in which she participated. Also, noted author and commentator Oz Guinness spoke at the Sing Conference about fulfilling the Great Commission and shared some thoughts with me about the enduring nature of the gospel as well as the power of worship. Plus, Zambian pastor Conrad Mbewe sat down with me at Sing 2019 to share insight about the power and significance of the resurrection and how Christians can have a greater appreciation of the living Lord. And from the Getty Music Worship Conference, Pastor H.B. Charles from Jacksonville, Florida, discussed how the pastor and worship leader at a church can work together and how singing and the ministry of God's Word are compatible with one another. Also coming up on this edition of The Intersection, Jonathan Kahn of Hope of the World is back with another book, this time exploring incidents in history occurring every 50 years, the time span prescribed in Scripture for the Jubilee, events that are related to the restoration of the nation of Israel. And Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, shares about his latest book series featuring Bible stories and principles as expressed by squirrels who have been preserved in history with salt from the Dead Sea. Finally, it's Todd Starnes of FoxNews.com and Fox Nation examining cultural trends, including the rise of socialism and threats to religious expression about which the church needs to be aware and responsive. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. The 2019 Sing Conference in Nashville took place in a variety of locations centered on the Gaylord Opryland Complex, but associated events also took place at the Grand Ole Opry House and Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. Johnny Erickson Tata, who has recently announced that the cancer treatment that she began almost a year ago has been successful, was an enthusiastic participant and after the conference spent some time with me to share her observations. Here now from Johnny and Friends is Johnny Erickson Tata. I had the chance to lead a half-hour hymn sing at the Grand Old Opry, <laughs> and cool. then uh, then led a couple of uh, a cappella hymns uh, to 13,000 in the Bridgestone Arena. But you know, we can't talk about it. I just bet some of your listeners know, and you can hum along if you know it, we have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Heim the steeps and cross the waves. Onward tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And I'm no, I'm no good singer, Bob. I'm not an Amy Grant. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't hit the high notes. But I tell you what, I have learned to sing my way through suffering. And you just can't talk about worship songs and hymns. you got to sing them, don't you? Absolutely. Now, notice I did not sing along as you were singing there. <laughs> I want to spare my listeners the, the, the pain of having to hear me sing, but you do such a beautiful job. Describe that experience of being with thousands of believers singing songs together there in Nashville recently. Well, there's a verse in Revelation, and I do not have it in front of me, But it is a powerful verse that talks about uh, the vision that John had when he was ushered into heaven, and he said that he heard a thunderous sound, like the roar of waterfall, 
and it, it was the voices of thousands and thousands of people, uh, obviously the angels and saints uh, in heaven, singing praises to God. And Bob, honestly, even though I don't know that verse by heart in Revelation, that I knew it and I felt it when I was sitting right there in, in the wooden circle on the stage at Opryland, surrounded by 4,000 people, singing this thunderous waterfall earth-shaking sound of mm-hmm. pure harmony over all these hymns. And of course, in the Bridgestone Arena, the same thing. It was a slice. It was a taste of heaven. And uh, that night at the Opryland, uh, at Grand Old Opry, um, I-, I wanted to encourage people to learn how to sing through suffering, to, 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 to know that there is a song that God wants to put on their hearts when they are hurting. And I cited Isaiah chapter 54. It's a favorite chapter because right from the first verse, it says, Sing, barren woman, burst into song. And I don't think that verse is talking just about physical barrenness, you know, not being pregnant or having a baby. No, we all feel barren. Times when our prayers always feel lifeless. Our love feels cold. Our faith feels weak. We see no fruit in our lives. And so in Isaiah 54, what are we supposed to do? burst into song. And of course, if anybody's looking for something to sing about, I always advise, choose Jesus. Mm-hmm. Be- because when you sing to him, you're going to find life for your prayers, you're going to find grace to give love, you're going to find strength for your faith, and the best part, the power to bring forth fruit and praise and glory to Jesus. So that was my message at the Grand Old Opry, and I think that's my message to our listening friends today here on Faith Radio. Um, during those barren times, when, when you feel lifeless and your love is cold and your faith is weak, burst into song. I love the way God says that, burst into song. And there is a song, a special song, that God wants to put on your heart when you're hurting. Johnny Erickson Tata here on The Intersection. Learn more by going to Johnny, J-O-N-I, and friends.org. Next up, it's author, commentator, and speaker Oz Guinness at the 2019 Getty Music Worship Conference. Sing shared about his role in the conference and provided insight based on his book, Carpe Diem Redeemed, Seizing the Day, Discerning the Times. Here now is Oz Guinness. You know, one of the greatest of the megachurch pastors, on a previous book I wrote, he said, I'd like to endorse it because everywhere I go, Christians are discouraged. Well, you take the biblical idea, the end is not the end. There's two meanings of the word end in the Bible. An end can be an end as finis, Latin word, period, full stop, conclusion. In other words, spring ends the summer, and after the summer, the fall, and then winter, the year ends. And the same with our lives. We're born, we grow, we decline, we die. There are endings in that first sense always in the world, including history, the Roman Empire, ended. America's greatness will end. But the end in that sense is not the end in the other sense, because the other biblical meaning of end is telos, the Greek word for culmination, climax, purpose, objective. And always when you have endings of the first sort, the Lord is working out his ends of the second sort powerfully. So Rome fell. Did the gospel fall? No. It went to Europe, won Europe, and whole new stage of history. Or you could say, look at, look at the Gospels. On Friday night after the cross, looked all over. That was the end as finis. But the real end as telos was the resurrection on Sunday. And that's always so. And we see in Scripture 
that evil, rather than being improved steadily like atheists think, evil will rise to a crescendo. But that's when God's great end, as tell us, the apocalypse, the unveiling of his purpose in history will take place when the Messiah returns. Oz Guinness is joining us today here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio, the Getty Music Worship Conference in Nashville. Well, we are talking about this book that is called Carpe Diem, Redeemed, Seizing the Day, Discerning the Times. And as we conclude our conversation today, you mentioned this whole notion of discouragement, and you were talking about, for instance, what we commonly call Good Friday, the day of crucifixion. Resurrection came three days later. Rome fell. Empires have fallen throughout history, yet the gospel has continued to go on. So if we gain that sense of history and recognize that man's wisdom or man's constructs will will fade away, we can still be encouraged. We can still be joyful in the Lord. I think about that scripture in First Peter, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. In that, we can have hope. In that, we can have encouragement, can't we? Exactly. And it was a time of discouragement like that that St. Augustine wrote the city of God. You know, it was the city of man, Babylon, Rome, Athens, Washington, D.C., London, Paris, they will all fall. But the city of God endures. And we're believers in the city of God. In other words, we're looking over the horizon of history, beyond history. And it says in Hebrews 11, the Lord has a city prepared for those who have a faith like that. Well, as we conclude, you're going to be speaking at the Getty Music Worship Conference here in uh, Nashville this week, encouraging people to, to really recapture a sense of the spark of evangelism, of sharing the gospel around the world. As people come together and worship, this is a at its base, it is a worship-oriented conference. So how do you see that worship and experiencing God in worship can actually help fuel our sense of purpose? Obviously, as followers of Jesus, readers of the Bible, we put a heavy premium on words. But while words are the language of the mind, music is the language of the heart and the soul. You can say incredible things in words, but only so much. Whereas music is the ability to say the unsayable. And so when we worship God with everything that we are, we're going beyond just our minds, although we're using words, but through music, going up to the very highest, fullest, richest, deepest expression of who we believe with every pore in our bodies is the Lord whom we're worshiping. Oz Guinness here on The Intersection. You can find him online at ozosguinness.com. Next, from the 2019 Sing Conference in Nashville, the pastor of Kabwada Baptist Church in Lusaka, Zambia, Conrad Mbewe, shared about the significance of the resurrection, a topic that he covered at the event. Here now from that conversation is Conrad Mbewe. First of all, um, I'm an expository preacher, and consequently, um, I go through different books of the Bible, and you cannot miss the fact that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is an intricate part 
of uh, the, the salvation package, and more specifically in terms of what he came to do. Um, all the way from, uh, for instance, Isaiah 53, which is a, a glorious chapter on Christ, um, you still find even there the fact that uh, by the Lord's will, he will prolong his days, and that speaks in terms of after uh, he has died. Um, you you get into the Gospels, that's something that you see again and again in each one of them. Uh, Christ is, does not remain in the grave. Um, he, he rises from the dead and ascends uh, to glory. Uh, when you get into the book of Acts, it's again precisely the same thing. Uh, the, the apostles were not just preaching the Jesus who has died, but also uh, the Jesus who is raised from the dead. In fact, on one occasion, the Apostle Paul uh, literally knocked the heads of uh, the Pharisees uh, together with the Sadducees by simply throwing the cat among the pigeons and saying, uh, I believe in the resurrection. And that was it, the, the uh, entire trial that he was going through uh, broke up into, in today's language, uh, a fist fight. Uh, you go into the epistles, exactly the same thing. Uh, when, uh, For instance, in the book of Romans, by the time you're getting into chapter um, 4, the Apostle Paul speaks in terms of him being raised for our justification. Uh, you're getting into chapter uh, 6, again, exactly the same thing the Apostle Paul uh, is say, speaking about why we cannot continue living in sin. It's because Jesus died and rose again to newness of life, and that is the new life that he also uh, gives to us. So, you know, you can go through the epistles exactly the same thing. We, we rejoice in a resurrected Savior. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, for instance, the the Apostle Paul speaks in terms of the, the gospel that we ought to believe in, which in believing in we are saved. And he speaks in terms of Christ died according to the scriptures, he was buried, and then Christ was raised from the dead according to the scriptures and is uh, witnessed uh, too in that way by, by many uh, of the brothers and so forth. So again, you can't miss the fact it is both the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection. We make a grave mistake if we only pause at the point that he died and end the good news there. Yes, his death is the good, good, good news because without the price being paid for our sins, well, nothing else matters. But having paid the price for our sins, God raised him from the dead as evidence that he has accepted the sacrifice. It's finished. There is no more price uh, to be paid. God is satisfied, and consequently, Jesus is given the Holy Spirit through whom he regenerates us, he comes to dwell in our hearts, he, he sanctifies us, he assures us that we are saved, he assures us of adoption, into God's family that we are now his sons and I can keep multiplying. He, he, he sanctifies us, he enables us uh, to know um, the fight against sin and to know it victoriously and so forth. All because 
Jesus rose from the dead. Conrad Mbewe here on The Intersection. His website address is Conrad Mbewe, that's M-B-E-W-E dot com. More now from the 2019 Getty Music Worship Conference, Sing, presented by Keith and Kristen Getty. H.B. Charles, senior pastor of Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, discussed his role in the conference and shared comments about a healthy relationship between music and preaching between the pastor and the worship leader. Here now is H.B. Charles. I am doing a breakout session about preaching the incarnation of Christ. I'm also doing a couple of panels, and I've already done one. Where we're t- One particular, we were talking about the relationship between the teaching pastor and the music leader and how vital it is for those two leaders to be one on one accord as you lead the congregation in worship. And I am sitting back and enjoying the singing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that you are. So... There are so many questions that come to mind as you look at your role as a senior pastor, and I've had conversation here already today about the relationship of music to the delivery of the Word. You're someone, not only you do you preach, but also you have a heart to train other pastors and preachers. So tell me about how you see that the musical component really enhances and works side by side with what you do as a senior pastor. Sure. So there are a bunch of things that take place in a worship service. But if you're going to put the two big rocks into a worship service, if that service is 45 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours, the two big rocks are going to be music and preaching. And a dangerous thing, I think, for the health of a congregation is when those two big rocks, those two big elements of corporate worship are divorced from one another. It's vital that we understand the relationship between the preaching of the word and the singing of God's people in worship. I think this is a Colossians 3.16 factor where we are taught to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in songs and in hymns and in spiritual songs. There's a lot of lessons from Colossians 3.16, but the primary lesson is that music and worship is an extension of the ministry of the word. And so we have to understand as pastors that it is not just the preliminaries to our main event of preaching, but that the worship of God's people through song is another way of teaching. In fact, uh, to be very honest, when my job is over in heaven preaching, the singing of God's praise (laughs) will still continue. And in a real sense, our preaching and our corporate worship is a dress rehearsal for our worship in heaven. And so we should, we should view that musical role vitally and as shepherds understand the importance of our oversight of it and by our example stress the importance of music when we come together as, as a congregation of worship. How do you avoid the, the tendency, if you will, for these two, as you say, the big rocks in the service, they can complement each other or they can compete? with each other. Mm-hmm. How do you resist the tendency, and I say universally, but how, how would you resist the tendency for these two elements to compete rather than to complement one another? So I think overall there requires teaching on these subjects so that everybody who has a hand in preparing and leading worship understand the 
particular role they play, how these roles relate to each other, and what the essence and focus of the overall corporate assembly of worship is. Secondly, I would say that there just has to be a lot of communication, a lot of communication between the teaching pastor and the music leader so that um, they are on one accord, they are getting an understanding of what um, they are up to, that they are planning together, and even that they are going to at times argue about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And I feel like a lot of fruit can be gained from those repeated, long, honest conversations about what serves the church best when we meet together to hear God's word and sing and, and praise. And the third thing I would say quickly is that it has been my practice over the years to, to outline my preaching for the coming year for the whole year. So I have an annual preaching plan. And then we month to month are having conversations about prayer, scripture reading, music, and special elements, but it is all starting with what is being preached. And so the planning of the other service elements are rooted in what will be preached. That's a key way to help us make sure that the uh, tail is not wagging the dog. (laughs) H.B. Charles here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website hbcharlesjrjr.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the Media Center where you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. And you can find The Intersection Podcast in the Media Center. It's also available through iTunes. Plus, two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, updated weekly with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. Also, there is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there is a link to video content including recently added content from the Getty Music Worship Conference Sing 2019, as well as the Christian Product Expo International, both of which took place in the Nashville area in August of this year. You can also find content from The Meeting House through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you go to the programming section at faithradio.org. And when you visit The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to other platforms through which you can access conversations from The Meeting House program. All right, let's continue with more of the Intersection podcast now. Jonathan Kahn leads the Ministry of Hope of the World and Beth Israel, the Jerusalem Center in Wayne, New Jersey. In our recent conversation, he discussed his latest book, The Oracle, The Jubilee and Mysteries. Here now from that conversation is Jonathan Kahn. The Oracle is, which is, which is the new book, The Oracle um, is really, I think, the biggest mystery I've ever, ever uh, written about, on, you know, opened up and all. Um, it is so big that it, 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 include, it covers everything. It, it, it contains everything from Moses to Mark Twain, from... Uh, from Jeremiah to Donald Trump, and it, it's really the mystery or the secret behind the past, the present, current events, um, the the future, uh, end times, the, really the blueprint of the end times, um, and it's so specific that it actually uh, it actually contains the uh, times when things are to happen, down to the days, to the to the dates, the actual dates, um, and it is really it's you know why I think for now is that. You know, we're in a culture that is that is kind of dismissing God and, you know, this is old, we're past that. 
And this, the oracle is really an explosion of the reality of God, that the, the God of the Bible, and who moved in world events and moved in all, is, is, has been moving in everything and behind everything, from even, even determining um, the rise of America, the uh, elections, um, uh, the outcomes, and when things have to happen, exactly when they have to happen. Um, and even and it, the mystery is also about our lives. This is ultimately about about the plan for our lives and um, and also what is what is happening in the world and what is yet to come. And just to give a, a you know just kind of a quick uh, uh, kind of stream of some of the mysteries in there. Um, there's a mystery when I say the jubilee and mysteries based on the the jubilee when the year when whatever you lost you return you get it back you go home and and the amazing thing is you know one of the key signs of the end times is Israel coming home and but the amazing thing is that it follows this mystery that every uh, on this exact cycle of years every time something gigantic happens in the world something prophetic happens in the world um, and there's a there are appointed words that. That are given to the Jewish people that they they read every week when they open up the scrolls in the synagogues. Now these have been appointed from ages past. But the amazing thing is that when these words are read, what I saw and what what I what I open up in the oracle is that that the events that they talk about these biblical events come true in the world when they do. And it's it's kind of like God is. I mean, it's it's really mind blowing, and it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer. We have an unbelieving friends, um, this is an, really an explosion of the reality of God. As I did the harbinger, I was led to, to reveal these things, which are all, I mean, total reality fact, you know, um, through a narrative, a story, a man going to, a man called the Oracle, who reveals these things, and that's what the seven doors of these seven revelations. So so this is where he is, the, really the end times as we know it today, I mean, the, the, what we often call it. Um, they really begin with with an event that most people don't know about that that is kind of almost mystical. Uh, the Bible says, and Moses said before he died, he said, told Israel that that God is going to gather you back at the end times. He's going to scatter the Jewish people. And he's going to gather them back. Now, now he says, but before that happens, that a stranger or a man is going to come to the land of Israel, which is going to be desolate. It's going to be a wasteland. He's going to bear witness of. The, that it is a wasteland, a barren desolation, and then right out after that, then God will start bringing back the Jewish people to Israel. Well, this has ever happened. The amazing thing is, um, yet the, a man who was the stranger comes from a faraway land. He comes to the land of Israel. It's desolate. He bears witness to the world of it. He reports. He writes a book about it. And he fulfills the prophecy, and the, the man, we all actually know him, the, the man who fulfilled this prophecy was Mark Twain. He comes there to Israel, and he's actually a skeptic, but he's actually fulfilling biblical prophecy. And the words that he writes about how desolate the land of Israel is are actually the, the words that Moses said he would write. Moses says he'll write, there's no grass growing there. He writes, there's no grass growing there. The whole thing. And when he completes his journey, it's on, it's on a Sabbath in Jerusalem. And on that day, that's an, the appointed word for that Sabbath is read all around the world, and the word is, the prophecy of that the stranger will come to the land. So it's actually being proclaimed in Jerusalem, and, all, and he's walking through the streets as it's being fulfilled. Jonathan Kahn here on The Intersection. Learn more by going to the website, theoraclemystery.com. The Hope of the World website is hopeoftheworld.com. Well, Mike Naraki is the co-creator of Veggie Tales, which will have fresh episodes in partnership with TBN beginning later this year. 
In our recent conversation, he talked about his most recent book series, The Dead Sea Squirrels, with its two most recent releases, Nutty Study Buddies and Squirrel Nap. Here now from that conversation is Mike Naraki. The idea struck me um, a number of years ago, actually back in, you know, um, boy, early VeggieTales days, because part of the part of what we were hearing from parents is that, um, uh, you know, we we didn't have a lot of New Testament stories because um, we uh, with vegetables, we were wanted to be very careful with depicting Jesus as the vegetable. And we we sort of um, just thought that would be something that would be too irreverent mm. to do. Uh, and so we do have, you know, with VeggieTales, we do tell a number of New Testament stories um, and, but we had to be very creative in the way that we did that to not depict Jesus as a vegetable. And so, so the, and then idea started cooking years ago. It's like, okay, what kind of story, what kind of series could I tell that would kind of hone in on New Testament stories? And, um, uh, so I, I got this idea for, uh, you know, the Dead Sea Squirrels at the time. And, and basically what the, what the idea is, is a, it's a modern tale, a little boy, uh, is over in Israel with his father. His father's an anthropologist, and he, he's brought his and the little boy's name is Michael, and Michael's brought his best buddy Justin with him for the summer. And they're exploring a cave uh, in this first book, and they come across two salt-encrusted, dehydrated squirrels. And Michael thinks they're the coolest thing he's ever seen. Um, Justin thinks they're absolutely gross. Uh, but Michael decides to stuff, him in, to stuff them in his backpack and take them home with him, uh, back home with him to the States as souvenirs. Um, and so he, he sneaks them back home, smuggles them back home, and they get. he sets them up on his dresser in his bedroom. Uh, the windows open. The next day is his first day of fifth grade, um, and it rains. Uh, he comes back home and the squirrels are missing um, uh, and he goes chasing around the house and discovers that they're hiding out. They have rehydrated and desalinated. Uh, and it's a couple squirrels named Merle and Pearl Squirrel. They're an old Jewish couple uh, who actually lived during the time of Christ and got stuck in a cave and uh, suspended in time for 2000 years. And so they bring their wealth of knowledge uh, and, and sort of their eyewitness account of of uh, the life of Jesus and the apostles uh, into the 21st century, and so and, and and are able to help Michael out with his problems as a as a fifth grader, and uh, kind of become the wise kooky grandparents that he never had. Um, so it's just a lot of fun. It's a, it's a great opportunity to to show the relevance of of Jesus's teaching and and sort of the life of the apostles and how that relates to uh, modern day in a way that's really fun and relatable to kids. One of the things that I love was just the whole idea, the, the pun on the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, <laughs> this idea that th- that those were, you know, preserved for millennium, you know, in, in, a, in a cave. Uh, so I just wanted to have fun with that, with that pun, with the squirrels as well. So tell me about the first two episodes. Uh, one is called, the first one is Squirreled Away, and then you have the second one called Boy Meets Squirrels. So obviously you've got the, the, the whole story of the squirrels and their interaction with the humans, Michael and Justin, yeah. but you're able to incorporate some Bible lessons along the way as well. Yeah, so each uh, book has a core biblical uh, value, a biblical lesson. Uh, the first book uh, centers around obeying your parents. You know, I mentioned Michael and Justin are, are exploring in this cave that's actually against um, Michael's dad's wishes. He, he told them to never go into a cave um, without an experienced guide, and they decide to do it anyway and end up, you know, getting in a lot of trouble. Uh, and 
almost almost getting lost for good. Uh, and so they they learn a valuable lesson about obeying your parents, and that's reflected in the squirrel the squirrel story as well. So the first book is a setup. We meet Michael, we meet Justin, we meet the squirrels. We kind of find out the squirrels' backstory, how they got in there. Uh, and then at the end of that first book uh, is when things, you know, there's a cliffhanger at the end of the first book that kind of leads you into the second book, um, Boy Meets Squirrels, which is the first time that Michael encounters the squirrels. Uh, and then that book is uh, due to what you would have them do to you. And Michael has an experience at school uh, with a school bully um, and and wanting to, uh, you know, kind of get back at the bully that Merle and Pearl speak into um and they actually recall for michael the one on the mound um uh when jesus you know delivered the message about treating others the way you want to be treated so we have a little flashback scene in every book uh which is called uh, uh a squirrel's eye view where merle and pearl recall a teaching uh from jesus or the apostles that that relate to michael and his life uh so so that's how we work in the biblical messages within the within the books. You can find out more through Instagram at Mike.Naraki, that's N-A-W-R-O-C-K-I, or go to Facebook and find Mike Naraki Author. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's author and media host Todd Starnes from FoxNews.com and Fox Nation. He shared with me about the inspiration and some of the principles he relates in the book Culture Jihad, How to Stop the Left from Killing a Nation. Here now is insight and commentary from Todd Starnes. Well, over over the really the past decade or so, I've been reporting on these issues at Fox News. And my last book, uh, The Deplorable's Guide to Making America Great Again, I wrote that the big story out of 2016 was not that Donald Trump was elected president. Uh, the big story was the rise of socialism in America and the the overwhelming support that Bernie Sanders received on his presidential campaign. And when you looked at the demographics, when you looked at the ages of those those people who supported the, the socialist candidate, I realized that they were mostly younger Americans. And I started looking at a lot of the, the polling data about the, the big issues of our day, religious liberty, free speech, uh, capitalism versus socialism. And I realized when I looked at the data that a, that a, a majority of young Americans, millennials, and even some Generation Zers, are supporting socialism over capitalism. They believe there should be limitations placed on free speech. They believe there should be limitations placed on the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. And they also believe that religion has no place in the public market. So um, that really was the, the, the impetus for this book. Because I noticed there is a, a really a, a disturbing trend among conservatives, and especially among evangelical conservatives. Uh, when Ronald Reagan was elected president, uh, everybody just sat back and thought that he was going to take care of everything, which Reagan did a terrific job. But the problem was we disengaged from the fight. We disengaged from the political fight. And as a result of that, um, we eventually ended up with Bill Clinton in the White House and then Barack Obama. Uh, I'm, uh, but again, this is not a I'm not bashing Democrats here. I'm just talking about political parties and whether or not they're defending things like religious liberty. So 
um, a couple of, gosh, it was about a year or so ago, two years ago, I was watching the news, and I saw that the Islamic radicals had invaded Iraq. And one of the very first things they did, they targeted the museums, and they destroyed the history of mm. Iraq, literally turning it to rubble. And I realized, wait a second, that's what the socialists are doing in this country, and that's how I came up with the term culture jihadist. And I wanted you, Todd, to comment, if you would, on really the the godlessness, if you will, that is present within the socialistic system and philosophy. Yeah, look, and that's the key to it all. You see, before socialism can take root here, they have to get rid of one thing, and that is God. Mm -hmm. That's why we are seeing such aggressive attacks on religious liberty. They have to eradicate God from the public marketplace, and they have to they have to neutralize the churches of America. And that is that's what's happening right now. Even within my own denomination, I'm a Southern Baptist. We are having these um, these conversations and these debates right now about whether we should engage in the culture. And I want you to just think about the about the impact of the largest evangelical Christian denomination disengaged from the culture war. That is a very dangerous, a very dangerous proposition. So for socialism to to truly take root, we have to unmoor ourselves from the idea that we are one nation created under God, and instead that we are this this collection of people, this community of people, and that we are made in our image, not in God's image. And I, I lay all this out in the book, and, and I just show people very clearly what could happen in this country if we allow socialism to take over, and it's a disturbing picture. Todd Starnes here on The Intersection. Learn more by going to toddstarnes.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center where you can listen to or download full conversations from recent guests here on the Intersection Podcast. You'll find the podcast in the Media Center as well. It's also available via iTunes. Plus, There are two blogs that are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content, including recently added content. You can learn more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from the Intersection Podcast and The Meeting House can be found through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you go to faithradio.org. Content is also available through a number of other platforms. Well, thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.